All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. Just uh, four short verses, and um, this is kind of a uh, part one of, of two parts. Uh, Pastor Trey is preaching next Sunday, but these, these verses go with the next set of verses as well. So I'll just kind of uh, give you the problem today. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the bad news, and Pastor Trey can come along and help you with the good news maybe. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a little bit of good news maybe uh, later in the message. But most of you know, uh, my youngest daughter Kayla was married yesterday, right here. Uh, it was a wonderful day. Um, it was an exhausting day. Uh, do you remember the day that you got married, those of you who are, who are married? Uh, the minister said something to you like this. Will you have this woman? Will you love her, cherish her? Do all these things? And will you keep yourself only unto her as long as you both shall live? And I'm sure, hopefully, you gave a resounding yes, or I do, to that answer. But we also know that really, in a marriage, it's the years that go by after that day that reveal the strength of your commitment that you made to your spouse in that moment, isn't it? And the years that have gone by since the day that we committed our lives to Jesus Christ reveal where we truly stand as well. Has there been faithfulness? Has there been that spiritual progress that we'd hoped for? Have we reached a level of maturity in relation to God and His Word. Well, failure in this realm is what creates spiritually stunted people. People who don't grow up. Now, that's the background to what I'm about to say. I, I want you to notice in our text this morning that Paul points out a problem the Corinthians needed to address. It's a problem he's continued to talk about uh, since chapter 1. Uh, he's going to keep talking about it into chapter 4. But uh, we're getting just another level deeper today in understanding their problem. And as I mentioned, the solution uh, won't come until next week's text, uh, although we'll give a little hint of it today as well. And the problem doesn't start right in verse 1. The problem comes at the uh, end of the second, the last sentence of the second verse, because in the first verse and the beginning of the second verse, Paul's addressing the, um, he's addressing the condition of the believers in Corinth when he first arrived there. He's talking, he wants them to remember back. And what does he tell them? Well, as we just read, you are infants in Christ. Babies. You were spiritually alive uh, as a result of God's grace. He, you were infants in Christ, right? But you haven't really made much progress. And so he says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. Now, there's no surprise or condemnation necessarily in that statement. Uh, that's exactly what you'd expect to give to a baby, right? If you find a, a baby with, uh, if you find someone with a baby that's, uh, you know, under the age of six or seven months and they're feeding them hamburgers from McDonald's, you probably want to lift up the phone and call Child Protective Services, 
right? That's not what's supposed to happen. No matter how advanced a baby might appear to be, babies do their best on milk. You don't give them solid food until they grow. Well, spiritual babies, it's exactly the same. So Paul is, is basically saying, I recognized what you were, infants in Christ. I didn't jam solid food down your throats. He says, you were not ready for it. They were naturally immature and without blame. So far, so good, right? He's addressed them as brothers. He starts off there, when I came to you, brothers. Has a friendly sound to it, doesn't it? Imagine somebody reading this out of a scroll, perhaps, and, and some believers in Corinth, you know, just sitting around listening, and Paul starts off pretty good. Brothers. They kind of sit back in their seats, cozy down for the address. Don't you love it when Paul calls us brothers and sisters? Makes us feel good. And then he says, well, you remember when I came to Corinth, you were just babies, and I just gave you a little bit of milk. Yeah, I love that. I remember that. That was great. You didn't get solid food. Yep, yep, that's right. We remember. We remember, Paul. And then, bam, he hits him. How come you're still sitting there in your diapers? Look at what he says. And even now, now, four years later, you're not yet ready. You know, babies in a nursery are a pretty wonderful thing, aren't they? I love whenever I'm walking by the hallway just to pop my head in and see who's in there and make them smile or cry or whatever. Get in and out quickly, you know. Babies in a nursery are wonderful. Adults in diapers, not so wonderful. So he addresses this Corinthian group of people that he loves, that he spent 18 months of his life with, and he says, here's the problem. Time has gone by, and you're older, but it doesn't mean that you've grown to spiritual maturity. The truth is, people do not become mature in their spiritual lives simply by living a long time. There are people who have lived a lifetime and they've never really grown to much maturity. They may have sat under the ministry of the Word. They may have been around churches. But when you meet them, they're still no different than they were way back in the beginning. You may wonder whether they had ever become Christians at all sometimes. It wasn't because the Christians in Corinth were unintelligent. They were proud of their knowledge, remember? It wasn't that they weren't able to understand the teaching that Paul was giving them. The cause of their immaturity was not mental. It was spiritual. The reason that you and I remain obedient to Jesus Christ is not because we can or can't grasp intellectual things. That's not how we remain obedient. 
It's a result of whether or not we are hungry for the word. Whether or not our hearts yearn for God and love it and obey it. I want to show you this from a couple other passages that are very similar to this one. And I think they help give us a fuller picture. Uh, James chapter 1. We'll go to three short passages. Go to James chapter 1. How does somebody become mature in the Christian life? And how do you end up as a baby when you should be an adult? How does that happen? Here's the answer. James 1, look at verse 19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Think about this for a minute. Part of this righteous life that God desires for all those who are in the Christian life to go on to maturity, that's what he desires, and and an angry person, an angry person will always remain immature in spiritual terms. And a lot of times in physical terms too. You've met people like this. Angry people sometimes just act like big kids all the time. They're always angry. They're always the antagonist. They're always the one shouting things out of their car window. They're just stuck in their anger. And an angry Christian is stuck too because that angry person does not receive the Word of God planted in them because their anger, it's almost like their anger is like a filtration system. And it filters out the stuff that could help them, the stuff that they need, and it invites in the stuff that they don't, stuff that's bad. And so he goes on to say in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James tells us, don't just be listeners of the word and be deceived as a result. If you merely sit in the pews and listen to my preaching week after week, and the other brothers who get up here to preach, it it can never be equated with the doing of the Christian life. Listening to the word does not equal doing it, living it out. And so, while we are trying to take in divine truth on a regular basis, when we gather on Sundays, when we get together in our ABF classes, when we get, go to Bible studies, and when we meet in prayer meetings, all, all of these things, if at the same time we're refusing to get rid of what James calls here filthiness and rampant wickedness, We don't have a hope in the world of going on to maturity. We're going to be stuck. And I'm going to tell you this without any hesitation. If you think you're going to become a spiritual, mature adult as a result of just coming in and sitting in here for an hour and a week, you're wrong. You cannot invite the world's mentality 
every day, hour after hour, flirt with the devil, play with rampant wickedness, hang around with filthiness, and expect that as the result of a worship gathering in an hour and a half out of all the hours in a week that you're going to go on to maturity. It's not going to happen. Welcome to living in diapers because that's where you're going to stay. The process is clear. Peter also addresses this, the same thing. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, just over to the right a few pages. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3, and we'll look at them in reverse here to see the process again. 1 Peter 2, verse 3. You have tasted that the Lord is good. You've tasted that the Lord is good. That's when they came to faith in Christ Jesus. They tasted of the Lord's goodness. Now, as a result of that, verse 2, like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. That's verse 2, but look at verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Do you see it? The process is still the same. There's a weeding out that has to take place. If you fill yourself with garbage and then try to have a little chug of milk or a little chew of spiritual meat every once in a while, the impact of all that other stuff is going to neutralize any benefit that you receive from the Word of God. It's going to filter it out. We find something similar in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, where the author says that those who drink milk are infants who are not acquainted with, with the teaching about righteousness, Hebrews 5.13. On the other hand, he says that solid food, verse 14, is for the mature. You know, if you want to plant, we're getting ready to do some planting, right? I was always told when I moved to Indiana, you wait till Mother's Day, right? And plant after Mother's Day. So Mother's Day is next Sunday, by the way, just a reminder to all of you who may want to do something for your moms. Uh, Next Sunday is Mother's Day, and so we're getting ready to do a little gardening, put a little, little, whatever that stuff is, fertilizer, mulch, yeah, thank you, go to the store, get some plants, I'm not, you know, I'm not good at it, I just, I just go get it, and then Deborah tells me where where to put the shovel, and yeah, but we're, we're getting ready to do that, right, so if we want to plant roses in our garden, in our backyard, You clear out a little bit of an area, right? You clean it out, get the weeds out, you fertilize the soil. Unless we do these things, unless we do what's necessary to get the soil ready to to remove the the acidity or the pH levels or, you know, all that stuff. I don't know what that means. Uh, Unless we do all of that stuff in preparation for the planting, a lot of times we end up really, really disappointed with what we get out of the soil. You know what? I meet disappointed Christians all the time. All the time. They don't understand why it is that they're still not getting it. Still struggling. Still babies. They don't understand why they don't understand. They don't understand why it is they don't grow. 
And the reason is that there's usually so much garbage filling their lives day after day after day that they're just neutralizing the potential effect of the Word of God when it's proclaimed and when it's offered to them. It doesn't even get to their hearts. And that's exactly what's happening in Corinth. Boy, were they gifted. Woo! They had gifts. They had all the gifts. They had all the experiential gifts, as we'll learn as we get into the, the book later. All the sign gifts. They were, they were gifted. They knew the Lord. They had all kinds of stuff going on in their church. They had worship services that went on and on and on and on. They were so proud of who they were. So proud of where they were. So proud of the gifts that they could display, whether they were spectacular gifts or unspectacular gifts. And Paul is saying here, time out. Listen, I know who you are. But here's the deal. When I came at first, I had to speak to you like babies. That wasn't a problem. Babies are babies. But you are still babies. Now let me ask you this. Are there any babies in here this morning? Don't put up your hands. Just think about it yourself. Are you making progress in the faith? As we like to say around here, are you moving to the right? Are you moving in Christian maturity? Do you still answer questions in the same infantile way that you did when you first came to faith in Christ Jesus? Or are you growing? Are you growing? Think of some of the teachers that impacted your life the most. I remember one teacher I had in... I won't say where. Um, I had a teacher where the teacher would come in and he would give us a note, note for the class and he'd read through the notes and we'd fill in all the blanks and then that would turn into the test that we were going to take. No difference. So after the first time that happened, we all knew the program. You know what everybody got in that class? A's. You know what we learn in that class? Not much. Teachers that come in and write everything down on the bulletin board and then tell their students to write it all down for themselves and then they go somewhere off into another room, you know. They don't teach. They don't explain. They don't help you understand. But the teachers that impact us are the teachers that have enthusiasm for their subject, for their textbooks, what they're speaking on. I remember my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Allen, teaching me from the book of Genesis about Joseph. She didn't, you, you know, um, if, if I just read Genesis, the, the section about Joseph for myself, back then it, it was in the King James, right? And I was reading, if I was, as an 11-year-old, if I was reading that story for myself, I don't know that I would, you know, I don't know that it would do it for me, you know? But Mrs. Allen was in love with the story of Joseph. She didn't tell me everything about it. She didn't analyze every chapter. She didn't spoon feed every illustration. She just spoke about it in a way that I left the classroom and thought, I want to know more about Joseph. Now, brothers and sisters, if you're coming here on a Sunday 
And you expect me or the brother, the brother pastors to spoon feed you to spiritual maturity. It's just not going to happen. You have to go home and examine the scriptures for yourselves to see if the things we say here are so. That's your job. You have to read good Christian books that help you to understand and think about passages of Scripture in longer periods of time. You, you should talk the text over with your friends. Now, what, what, is, what, do, you think, what, do, you, what do you think Paul was talking about in, in verse 3 there? When he said, uh, what, what do you, th- you tell me and I'll tell you what I think. Let, let's, let's just talk about this a little bit. We should be doing that all the time. Talking about the Word of God. Yesterday, I was with my uh, son, Jonathan. We were going to the grocery store, and um, uh, we were coming back from the grocery store, and I just turned off the car, and he looked over and said, what do you think, what do you think, Peter, what do you think Jesus was doing in, in Luke 22? And I was like, Luke 22, where did that come from? You know, it's like, I, I haven't preached on that lately, have I? No, yeah. And, well, he's been thinking about Luke 22, and he had, he, he had a great thought about um, the difference between Peter's response to sin and Judas Iscariot's response to sin. And he just wondered what I thought about it and wanted to tell me how cool he thought it was. Well, that was happening offline. Not in a church service, not in a Bible study. As we think about and as we chew over the text, the Spirit does its work in us, away from the Sunday morning gathering. You have to talk the text over with your friends. It's good to start your own notebook, start your own journals, write down thoughts or works of God or meditations that you have that come to your mind as you listen to sermons or as you're reading your Bible or as you're talking with friends. Ask yourself the question, am I getting this or not? Because we have to get it. And of course, we all want to blame the guy who wrote on the blackboard, right? That's what I was doing a minute ago. If he, if he hadn't done that, I think I'd probably know a lot more about that subject that we are being taught. I think. Listen, Heather Hills. Let's get rid of the junk. And then we'll be ready to welcome the food. If you try and welcome the food while at the same time welcoming the junk, your spiritual appetite is going to be shot. You're not going to have any interest. You won't take in the right nutrients. You will stay as a baby. Now, incidentally, the difference between milk and solid food here in 1 Corinthians 3 is nothing more than our ability to live out what we say we believe. It's not that we need to be continually learning new doctrine. Paul's not saying, I taught you milk, like I taught you ABCs, but wait until I can teach you solid food. Wait until I get into eschatology or something, hard and deep. That's not what he meant. What was, what was Paul preaching to the Corinthians. We've already been told, right? 
He had nothing to teach, nothing to boast at, nothing to preach except what? Jesus crucified, right? Are you, do you want to call that milk? I don't want to call that milk. That's pretty wonderful. That's pretty awe-inspiring. The difference between being a milk drinker or a food eater when it comes to Christianity is not what you know. It's that we're living it out more and more. Paul wasn't teaching, it wasn't that he wasn't teaching the Corinthians solid food. It's that they weren't able to digest it due to their carnal, fleshly living, as he will say in a moment. And by the way, this is something that your pastors cannot do for you. How in the world... Trey, Greg, how in the world could we ever understand all of these people and apply the scriptures to each one of their lives individually and know what they're all thinking and know how each one of them are all living? It's impossible. But here's the interesting thing. God does it by his spirit through his word. He is able to apply a verse in your life in just the exact way that you need it. Way better than I could ever attempt to do. It's fabulous. It's like no other form of instruction that you could ever take in any university class, in any lecture hall, And the only way this kind of instruction to living, instruction to application, the only way that this ever is ever achieved is when the Spirit of God comes. Now that brings us here to the whole issue at Corinth. If it's the Spirit of God that does this amazing work in our lives, helps us to be able to digest the solid food of the word, because we're getting rid of the garbage in our lives and seeking through the Spirit to live out, to become doers of the word, not hearers only, then why does everybody make such a fuss about the guys who have the responsibility of teaching? Why are they making such a big deal? Why are they dividing over Paul and Apollos and Peter? Why are they doing that when it's the Holy Spirit that does the work through his word? Why are they making celebrities out of their leaders and causing factious, sinful division in the church of Jesus Christ? Look at verse 3. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Paul says, your problem is that you're still worldly. You're still fleshly. You're still carnal. You're characterized and dominated by a fleshly 
perspective on life instead of the Spirit of God working in your hearts and in my hearts. The flesh is so controlling these people that they don't make any progress at all. They're still babies. They are, this is shown, the way that this is displayed is in the fact that they have become partisans in their church. They're territorial. They're following after men. They're missing the point that it's God who does it all. Jealousy, that internal attitude, strife, the external manifestation. You know, the life of an infant, and I don't, I'm not going to rip on babies much. I mean, I, we all love babies. They're pretty, pretty amazing, pretty special. But think about the life of an infant. While they're a baby, their lives are almost totally selfish. Almost totally self-centered. Why do they cry all the time? Because they want food. And they want it on their schedule. Not on your schedule. They want to tell you what to do. We want food right now. Now the problem is, that's exactly what's happening in our culture, brothers and sisters. So here's little Johnny who is now 42 years old, who continues to cry out because he wants his way in the church. And so you have all these people who look like adults, dress like adults, but useless when it comes to spiritual leadership. They're not progressing in spiritual Maturity. And that's why in a lot of churches, a lot of churches, I've been in some of these, you've been in some of these, in a lot of churches, people don't have anybody else to turn to because all they have is a bunch of people walking around in diapers. And so this is what they've got to use for spiritual leaders as there's no one else to use. Spiritual maturity, let me say this again, does not come from the passage of time. It doesn't just come from the passage of time. It doesn't come by just taking in more knowledge, by just taking another class. It comes as the result of the influence of the Spirit of God through the Word of God on our lives. That's how it happens. Maturity does not have to do with what we know. It has to do with what we do with what we know. What was the problem? Jealousy was in. Harmony was out. Competitiveness was in. Charity was out. Clicks were in. Community and fellowship was out. And that's why the divisions came in Corinth. The people were living at only a human, fleshly level, not relying on the Holy Spirit, not making progress in Christian maturity. It's what the Corinthians were missing. 
It's what we often miss as well. Now that's the problem. I'm going to give you a little hint at what we can do about it in just a few minutes. But first, I'm going to ask our leadership team if they would prepare to come to the front for the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask our praise team if they'll return for our final songs. And, um, and then we'll pick it up with next Sunday's passage and allow that to speak into this one as well. But um, where I'm going, just so you know, I'm going to the end of chapter 2. You may have noticed that chapter 3 starts off with the words, but I. And that word in the original language connects verse 1 in chapter 3 with what came before, particularly chapter 2, verse 16, the verse right before. Let me read it for us. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And then Paul makes this little statement. But we have the mind of Christ. What's going to help us grow? What's going to help us make progress? What's going to help us avoid divisions in the church? What's going to help us to flourish in our Christian lives? What's going to help us to take this mess of sin that we're harboring and put it off and repent? It's to get the mind of Christ in our mind. How do we do that? One of the best passages that I know that tells us how is Philippians chapter 2. So let's turn there now and hold your place there. We'll sing a song of response to Christ, and then we'll think about this as we take the Lord's Supper this morning. Gentlemen, would you come? Let me read in Philippians chapter 2 for just a moment. I told you that this passage is one of the best passages I know that tell us how to get the mind of Christ into our mind. And so this is why I think it's such a great passage. Philippians 2 verse 5 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here's the mind we're supposed to have. Who, the Lord Jesus... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what we've come to celebrate, to remember his death on a cross. Now, in those verses that I just read, you should be able to pick up what the mind of Christ is. What is it? What words come to your mind from Philippians 2 about the mind of Christ? Just shout them out. He's humble. Obedient. Sacrificial. A servant. So, lots of different great words there, right? I would suggest we put them all under the umbrella of love. And you know the funny thing about the cross? 
John 3.16, right? God so loved the world. When Jesus went to the cross, he did it because he loved you. Right? But can I suggest to you that he went to the cross even more because of his love for someone else? Who was that? The Father. Who was he obedient to? Not us. We didn't tell Jesus to go to the cross. His father did. He loved his father. And love and obedience are linked in the Bible. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If we really want to analyze why we don't grow as we should... It'll come down to a lack of love for God, a lack of love for Christ. Because if we loved him as we should, we would obey him. We would humble ourselves. We would serve others. We would sacrifice our lives. Jesus did that for us. That's the mindset we need to have in the church. We love God so much that I'm going to put your needs ahead of mine. Your priorities ahead of mine. Your agenda ahead of mine. We're not going to compromise on truth. But we're going to love each other like Jesus And you know what you'll find? The anger dissipates away. The things of the world that seem so attractive and appealing and so pleasurable lose their appeal because God shines more brightly, more beautifully. He really does. Some of you don't believe that in this room. Some of you think that your particular sin that gives you pleasure is more pleasurable and shines more brightly than God ever could to you. But you're wrong. And if you take a deep dive into the heart of Christ, you'll see why. You'll see why. Brothers, if you'll come, we'll distribute the cup which contains grape juice symbolizing the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. He he was obedient all the way to the cross, death on the cross. We can instantly picture that, can't we? So many paintings, so many stories, so many films, so many icons. We have a wooden cross right behind me. You can picture that, can't you? Jesus nailed there. It's common to us, isn't it? Hmm. Maybe in the next few moments, it doesn't become so common as we remember what happened there. Without the shedding of blood, 
There is no remission of sins. And don't forget the end of the story. Philippians 2.9 Therefore God has highly exalted him. Jesus didn't stay on that cross. He rose from the dead the third day. God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, even the most rebellious anti-Christian that ever lived will bow his or her knee and acknowledge Jesus as Lord. What a privilege that we get to do so now because the Spirit has opened our hearts, opened our eyes, given us a love for our Lord Jesus. And he is our Savior, and he is our Lord, and he shed his blood that covers our sins. And we must never forget, never forget.